0: Welcome to Give and Take, where yours truly, Scott Jones, interviews artists, activists, authors, and a wide array of other thought leaders that help make our world the interesting place it is. My guest today is Rob Bell. Rob is a best-selling author. He's written books like Love Wins, What We Talk About When We Talk About God, and The Zim Zoom of Love, and most recently, How to Be Here. He's got a forthcoming book. What is the Bible? How an ancient library of poems, letters, and stories can transform the way you think and feel about everything. And it's a great book, and it comes out in just two weeks. His podcast, The Robcast, was named Best of 2015 in iTunes, and Time Magazine named him one of the 100 most influential people in the year in 2011. I think he should still be on the list in 2017 if he asked me but nobody did ask me alas his podcast the robcast was named best of 2015 in itunes and again it should be the best in any year it's really worth taking a listen to and rob was just a real pleasure to talk with i hope you enjoy the conversation half as much as i did i give you rob bell rob welcome to the podcast
1: it's great to be with you
0: You know, your book is so interesting what is the bible uh A long subtitle, how an ancient library of poems, letters, (laughs) and stones. stones. That was the goal. It transform the way you think and feel about everything. (laughs) What's so interesting about this is like the book. So if you, so when people say, pick up a book saying, what is the Bible? It it looks like it's going to be like bibliology or some kind of theology of inspiration or something. And you spend a couple short chapters on that kind of stuff, but mostly it's, it's, What's interesting, it's a lot more descriptive than prescriptive. I mean, you spend a lot of time digging around in stories of the Bible.
1: Yeah, and that's the problem. The problem is when people are talking about the Bible, when you're talking, it's not meant talking about it isn't where the life is, like reading it and entering into it is where all the interesting things happen. Like It's like beware of sermons trying to prove to you that the Bible is special. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like we've already, you've already lost the plot. Or it's like that guy on Instagram who keeps posting pictures of "Check out how hot my wife is. Look at this, babe." After a while, you're like, "Dude, what's wrong?" You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> oh shoot, wait, I'm I'm deleting my Instagram account. That wasn't me.
1: <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's right. great. And then after a while, you're like, "What's wrong?" Um, that you're spending this much time. Are you are you proving this to us or yourself? And so I very much wanted the book. I wanted you to read, to invite you to read the Bible with me. And oftentimes a book about the Bible is an attempt to tell you what it says. Like, I'm going to boil it down and tell you what it actually says, but it's been saying millions of things for thousands of years. So you're probably, you're probably not going to get the full spectrum, but if you can help us read it, now that's interesting. So this is about how to read it. Not, and, and that's, that's compelling to me.
0: Well, you know, you tell an interesting story about in the beginning where you, you preach this sermon and somebody kind of pulls you aside and was like, "Well, you missed this, this, and this." <laughs> yeah, and you start to on this background. Work. You, you come across as a lover of this book. I mean, like that—that that, that's really clear. Um, as, in reading it is it, it, um, is moving. It,
1: it's interesting that you say that because a friend of mine read a copy and he came over to the house and he said this is your most personal book yet. And, and I said, but it's, I don't like tell lots of stories. It's not, I don't understand why personal is the word. And he said, because there's no way you could have written this unless this had worked on you for a long period of time and actually shaped you like the subtitle for you is actually true. Um, and yeah, it's interesting you say that a lot of people have, have said that about this book. It's very interesting
0: yeah it's interesting, and I mean, this is kind of i mean it's interesting because you the format i mean, your books are always interestingly formatted, and like it i don't i mean, I don't know who you work with as far as publishers, but it, it does it actually so it's not it's it's not a slow read, but the format slows me down in the sense of good. It it looks different than general prose that I read. Like you kind of space <laughs> things out and you highlight things or bold, yes. or bold them and it, it's um it, it is an arresting kind of experience, but in a in a good way. I mean it kind of changes good. my ears a little bit.
1: Good, good, good. I spent a lot of time thinking about information architecture and so this I one... don't know
0: what that is. Oh uh, well I, yeah. I, I, I guess I could Information. Well, you think about think about Art a room, right.
1: think about a house, think about the space that you're in, where the walls are, how it's arranged, deeply shape the experiences that you have. The space that you're in is working on you. All the spaces. A CVS store is saying something about the world. It's saying something about what it means to be human. Um, and so when you think about a book, a book is a form of space. Um, you're entering in to how this person has arranged these words. And uh, so the book originally was like a, it was like a 102,000 words or something. And it had something like 75 chapters. And I was sort of deleting, I was honing in on how to arrange all of this material. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about what happens and then what happens next and where does one piece leave you? So what, where should we continue? So all that stuff I'm I'm glad that you noticed that Um, because I am. I'm trying to create space where perhaps you can hear or see something that um, you haven't heard or seen before. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was it's incredibly helpful. You know, it's interesting. I started listening to your podcast recently. And I was walking to a breakfast meeting, and this morning you did this, or, or at least the one I that was most recently released, which is what I listened to this morning, was on Punk Wisdom. <laughs> and I actually shared that with our mutual friend Steve Huber uh, today over lunch. I said, you know, I was, we were he was reminiscing about you know you guys in your college. One of you guys were in like a band together. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Uh, I found that so helpful, and I actually talked with folks. In this breakfast meeting about this, <laughs> I thought it was so. You kind of talk about unconventional wisdom, conventional wisdom, and post conventional wisdom. And I, you know, I was thinking when I got home, my wife had off today, and I said, you know, it's interesting, is I don't know Rob Bell at all, but, but like, he, he, this is a traditionalist argument. I mean, it really, it was a, I felt like it was a call for patience. Uh, Absolutely. a prophetic patient.
1: Yes. Yeah. Hopefully, it was lots of things at the same time. <laughs> yeah hopefully it was lots of disparate elements that you would normally see be held up in opposition to each other yet they were all existing side by side because you need them all
0: it's very interesting i'm reading this guy right now thomas halik i tell everybody about he's a a czech psychotherapist who became a priest while Czechoslovakia was behind the iron curtain and he went to this underground seminary and like charles taylor and people and cardinal casper flying in to meet with these guys and he wrote this book called patience with god and he said that um, faith is patience with yourself, love is patience with other people, and hope is patience with God.
1: That's good. That's strong.
0: Yeah, and I got that. Like, as I was walking to this coffee shop at breakfast, like I, uh, do people feel like when they meet you, they know you? because It's funny because I think in, in, in things like seminaries and divinity schools, I feel like they could, well, you're the preacher type and you're the pastor type. The pastor type is more like the social worker clinician. The preacher is sort of like the you know, upfront communicator, salesman, you know, a spokesperson, teacher, but like you, you, you're, you're a great communicator, but your communication style is incredibly pastoral. (laughs) Is that a question? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, is that, do you know that about yourself? I mean, do you, like, do you have a sense of that about yourself? Like I have a sense of what? The integration of those things in your, cause you, you're communicating to lots of people a lot of times.
1: Yeah, I guess my answer it to was. you would be that apparently in a seminary classroom those are two those are two different people. But I, that would be what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I'm not aware that that is a discussion that's happening. Um, I think that in some ways I'm digging around and I find things. Every all of my work begins with some sort of experience, some sort of taste, some sort of I see something and it does something to me, and then. I want to show this to people. So what are the images, language, symbols? How do I help people see what I saw in the assumption that they'll probably see all kinds of things I didn't see? So in some ways, I feel like I'm digging around and I dug something up, and now I'm like, check this out. Mm. So it all begins with my own sense of wonder and awe. And if you lose that, you lose everything. And uh, then from there, how could I put this, how could I create space whether it's a book, a show, a tour, uh, whatever, how could I create space where we could all engage with this together? So uh, so that's what I do. I wake up in the morning. There's always the next thing. There's always a book, sermon, tour, show, something, and then uh, I try to make it. It's actually terribly simple in all of its complexity. Mm. Yeah, that's how it works for me. So whether it has one dimension or another, uh, okay, I'll take it.
0: <laughs> I, I listened to um your most recent conversation with Pete Holmes and I listened to a couple of other conversations you had uh recently in the podcast and it, it's interesting people sound like ch- childlike when you talk with them. Uh not childish, I mean childlike. I mean, I mean there's, yes, there's, like, right. There's a <laughs> distinction. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean... It's, it's an important it's, distinction. Yeah, I mean, they, they seem very alive. And, you know, like it just Chesterton says, right, you know, something like, you know, look at a four-year-old at the zoo versus a 14-year-old. Like, four year olds, oh my God, that's an elephant. And 14-year-old's like, oh, just back off. I just want to, like... Yeah. You, you, it's like seeing yourself versus being yourself. Like,
1: is that... Yeah, that's well said. Seeing yourself. Yeah, yeah. Most people are standing at a distance from their own experience. So they're uh, watching themselves, having the experience, analyzing, not wanting to appear foolish... Uh, rationally processing how it's making them feel. But the, the growth of greatest joy and peace and satisfaction are moments when you're not staying at a distance. You're actually one. You aren't observing yourself. You simply are having the experience. And that's where the comes from, as opposed to the arms folded stepping back, uh, which is so much the posture of the modern world. So yeah, I, uh, that's uh, very important to me and keeping that alive and, um, beginning there, because there's lots of reasons to become filled with despair and cynicism like everybody else, which is actually easy. That's easy. But to maintain your wonder and awe, that takes a bit of work.
0: Has that always, has that always been true of like you and your ministry? Do you feel like early early on? It's gotten beaten out
1: of me on a number of occasions. That's why it matters so oh. much to me. It, oh. When I was in my late 20s, uh, my wife and I and some friends started a church and it that lots and lots of people came and then it was lots and lots of responsibility and lots of pressure and lots of everything. And all of a sudden the thing that was the dream became like a like a weight around my neck. So and and it had I crashed pretty hard a couple of times.
0: So What did crashing look like?
1: Fetal position on the floor thinking, apparently it's over. Apparently that was a chapter of my life and now I'll go sell shoes or do something else. <laughs> Because the, the tank, that's a running joke my wife and I have from Spinal Tap at the end when he's like, I could sell shoes. You you probably a 10. Um, so, and that was just not understanding. I didn't come from a world that understood, that talked much about the interior life, about living in a sustainable way. Um, and if you took care of yourself, that was seen as selfish and... Um, self-centered, like it's about saving the world. It's not about you. Mm. And lazy was the worst thing that could be said about you. Um, So uh, I had to sort of go into all of that to understand how it had shaped me and then to be liberated from it and understand how to live in a sustainable way. And as I began to see that this work that I love so much only happened as overflow It was like spilling over the top of me actually living well. Um, Otherwise, I just kept emptying the bucket and I had nothing less. And I know lots, especially lots of communicators who get up with a microphone to say something. And by the end of the talk, they have told you everything they know. You know what I mean? And then it's like cram a bunch of stuff in the bucket for the next time they have to get up and talk, which sometimes is seven days later. And that kind of living uh, just developed like a deep antipathy. I'm not gonna live like that mm. um and so i su- essentially in some ways had to learn a whole new way of being uh kristen and i my wife kristen and i call it for a while there we were talking about a new normal like oh i'm addicted this was i mean we're not talking like another lifetime this is like 10 15 years ago but oh i'm addicted to the hit to being needed uh, especially because my work was talking about god on a stage in front of lots of people um this pace and being needed and a text about an emergency. You know what I mean? All of it was like a, so I sort of had to get a crash course in how adrenaline works and how the psyche and cortisol are all related and how it gets very excited. Like it's very easy to become enslaved to the pace of the modern world, which leaves everybody exhausted and skimming the surface of their own existence. So all this was like year has been years and years of learning how all this works. And I and I do like when I do events for leaders. This is all everybody wants to talk about. Seriously, five minutes in a room of perfect strangers from around the world, and you start talking about this, and everybody is right there um, because this system that we were all trained and shaped in is warped and sick, and uh, you need to rage against it or it
0: will swallow you whole.
1: Mm. <laughs> mm. Sounds like a Muse song.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's a. There's this um, Christian psychiatrist, Frank Lake. Um, he died in the early 80s. He was a trauma specialist and he wrote this thousand page to- tome, like integrating, like trying to integrate psychiatry and theology. Like he he knew Leslie Newby in India and stuff. And he says in there that, like, basically, As you were saying that, as you were talking about the the container, like he says, you know, if you look at our humanity as a container, which ought to have something good in it, then we open the cupboard and the cupboard is bare, and basically we feel awful. But he said, but that's not really the the frame of reference, you know. If if we let the bottom get knocked out of our humanity, it ruins as a bucket, but opens it as a channel for the life. Nice.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's a thank you. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. it's unbelievable. I mean, yeah, that's great.
0: You say something in your Pearls to Pigs chapter about uh, Bonhoeffer says, something like, you know, before you commend the Lord, to your brother, you commend your br- your brother to the Lord. You talk about the stage where you can comm- entrust others. to. Oh, come.
1: right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a really interesting thing. And in that chapter in the book, I'm just showing people, sometimes when you're wondering what all this has to do, look for a progression. And like on the Sermon on the Mount, you can read it as an unfolding progression, that Jesus is teaching you how to live in the world in a certain way. And so you entrust yourself to the divine, and then you entrust others. And if you don't entrust others, then you're probably trying to control them, shame them, shun them, get them, manipulate them, get them to do something you want them to do. Um, You would not believe how many places—and this is anywhere in the world— I'll be doing a Q&A and somebody will, there's always somebody who has a question along the lines of how do I get so-and-so to do this? Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, there's rarely is a crowd where somebody's question isn't, I'm trying to get my kid to and, and the person is anxious. And, uh, I mean, I'll sometimes say to the person, you have, it. it appears to me in your 10 second question, like you have a fair bit of anxiety around this. And the person will always say, Well, yeah. And I'll say, Well, is there any chance that the person that you are trying to control is feeling your anxiety? Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No wonder things are a little awkward between you and them. None of us like it when somebody anxiously tries to control us. Th- this person that you're trying to get to do something, they're probably responding, it sounds like, in a fairly healthy way. Um, and just how much energy, would you think about like a recovery movement? One of the first things you learn is that you can't control people, places, and things. Like your mm. sobriety is directly linked to you giving up this endless need to control everything. Uh, yeah, and that's and you, that takes a while, especially, especially like leaders and business owners who, who there are some things that you do need to control, but then understanding how to deal with human beings who tend not to like to be controlled. That's that's an art form.
0: Yeah, it, I, it's interesting. You spend. I, I think I heard you. Maybe it was with your conversation with Doug Paget, where you talk about that you wrote this book because the, you've already written a book about the Bible. But just a bunch of people that you spend time with regularly, you would you know you'd be just normal conversations, and you would reference the Bible and things. You and they were like, "What? Well, what's that thing you said about like <laughs> oh, eschatology yeah, right, yeah, yeah. or something?" And like, why don't you write that down? Like. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating because I'm not like I'm not in churches or or, or sort of overtly religious spaces. Um, my work is in other spaces, and yet people love the Bible people people who've never read it, who are who want to throw up in their mouth at the thought of the word Christian, and would hear the word Bible and be like, please, love these stories and insights. It, like David, you know what David and Goliath is about. Or you know what's going on in that story. You've heard about the Noah and the ark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's happening in that story. You know what's so fascinating? Or the number of people who like, well, if there is a God, that God wouldn't fit in any box. That's what I know. And you're like, oh, yeah, actually, that's a line from the Torah where most <laughs> d- divine has no shape or form. You realize that 3,000 years ago, human beings were realizing, oh, if there is an infinite, it would be unable to be contained in any container, let alone by the intellect or a theological system. People just love, because I think the nature of the modern world is, how many views did you get on your YouTube channel today?
0: Mm. It's
1: all about this moment. And
0: How many views did you get on your YouTube channel today?
1: <laughs> no idea. <laughs> just, um, the, that when, what, my observation would be that modern people, when you can show or point out That whatever it is they're thinking about struggling with, wrestling with, rebelling against. Thousands of years ago, people were talking about this exact thing. Um, It gives life a base note. And when the oldest building on your street was built in 1942, you know what I mean? That has some power to it. Yeah. So that's my friends who, yeah, a lot of my friends who are like, dude, you got to write that Bible stuff. That stuff's good. (laughs) That when you do that stuff, because anybody can just rattle on, especially spirituality. Woo, yeah, whatever. But that stuff—that's interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you're you're a lover of the Bible, and you're you're obviously an evangelist, a shepherd, and an evangelist. I mean, you you you, you seem to light up, awakening people to spiritual. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Realities around. Yeah. So you've written some books that have like you know been controversial with evangelicals, and yet you kind of come from that. Tribe, like how it how is it for someone who is a lover of the bible and the good news who has gotten probably has been on the side of uh, on the receiving end or or or, i don't know if receiving is the right word but you've been involved in some controversies (laughs) is is that like or at least the subject of controversy or something i don't even know what i'm trying to say around that but you know what i'm trying to say like how, how do you like like your own lineage like evangelicalism I didn't grow up in the church, yeah. So, like, it. it, it uh, but for my friends who have and grew up in the kind of evangelical wing, it's almost like an ethnic identity.
1: Oh, and interesting. So how
0: is that played out for you? Like, how is your relationship to that backstory? How does that play out today?
1: Well, I actually I took the tradition seriously. <laughs> like these, yeah, yeah, particular subculture. It talks about the Bible nonstop. I actually I read it and it did something to me and it took me somewhere uh i haven't i haven't left the tradition i uh, i followed it into its center and i learned that a lot of things that are very cherished in that subculture are bullshit they have nothing to do with good news <laughs> um so i just kept going and that means it's interesting in in that subculture generally difficulty is you have truth, and there's some person who's opposed to truth. But in the Gospels, it's the tribe that are the ones who do the persecuting because Jesus is bringing them something new within their own tradition. Um, and when I began to, to realize, oh, this this path has implications and consequences. It actually takes you somewhere. If you love your neighbor, y- you have no idea where that may take you. And the last thing this tradition is about is protecting the security and safety of the tribe at all costs. Um, so, I mean, the, the Bible itself, early on, was a second command is to take care of the earth. So, spirituality and soil are inextricably linked from early on. Um, so, think about the the, the minor prophets, the, the major prophets, all the prophets. I mean, these are, this is a ragtag group of prophets who say to those in power, we have a widening gap between rich and poor. And this is not good. And the whole thing will collapse. So when you see Bernie Sanders, that's just a direct line. You know what I mean? Like there is a direct line from that tradition to somebody now saying we have a widening gap and it's not good for all of us. And I'm calling it out. Um, Truth may come in all sorts of places. So I just kept going. And uh, I don't really think about criticism or pushback or controversy. It's just not interesting to me. What I think about is the next thing I want to make that has done something to me and I'm trying to shape it, tweak it, form it so that maybe it could help someone else. That's, that's what gets me up in the morning. So obviously anybody who says that they're, they're trying to be controversial, I'm already bored. It's not a good honorable goal. So that was never the goal. The goal was to pursue a line of inquiry and to see where it leads and then to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been great. Howard
0: Stern had a Bernie Sanders and Trump impersonator. This is before the election. And uh, they debated. And the guy was like, the guy doing Sanders great. He's like, I did very well in several demographics. So I got 73% of people that shop at Whole Foods and don't bring their own bags, but feel guilty about it. And they go, well, who the other 27% go to? And the Trump guy goes, they went to Jill Stein.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one.
0: So, do you, as a guy who like founded a, a mega church, it's funny. I, I had did an interview early, earlier like last week with um, Molly Worthen, his, historian of evangelicalism. She teaches at UNC, and I was asking her about Trump and evangelicalism, and she's like, "Well, you know, some maybe some of the affinities. See, like a lot of these, you got a lot of mega church evangelical warlords." I was like, "That's such a great phrase. That could be like, yeah, that is. It's tribal.
1: <laughs> it's tri- It's clearly not about moral compass." It's clearly not about actually reading the Bible. It's clearly not about actually loving your neighbor. It is tribal, blood, political, safety, security. It's warlord is a great word for it.
0: Yeah. Do you do you like do, do you go to church, a traditional church gatherings much? These, I mean, are you part of a?
1: Usually on Sunday mornings, I uh, record a sermon. Usually usually we go surfing, and then I record my sermon for my podcast. That's what mm. I do, and I love it.
0: <laughs> that's, that's lovely.
1: Yeah, it is. It's beautiful. My kids and I usually have a huge meal, pancakes. I've been working on this uh, almond flour pancake that my boys just devour. So that's what we do. We're here. It's great.
0: Is there a reason that you don't go to traditional kind of church gatherings? It's just like, it, it, I mean, it, is there a method behind and not the madness.
1: The whole thing's a temple. What are mm. you and I doing right now? The whole thing's a temple. So, uh, the meal, the walk around the block, my friend who's got cancer, who I keep checking in on him, the whole thing is holy and sacred. Mm. Uh, and I actually think that's the apocalypse that Jesus spoke of. The temple comes down because the temple has to come down because the whole thing is a temple. So, uh, I'm cheering on all the people who are gathering in communities, um, and and it's fantastic. I I just have work to do and I'm doing it with my family here and life's never been better.
0: Do you feel like in some Bonhoeffer letters from papers letters and papers from prisons is that what we need is a religionless christianity?
1: Yeah, that actually really changed things. John Robinson does a whole bit on that in his book Honest to God and that those ideas did something to me. But really profound. Like that would take multiple podcasts to work through. But that that phrase and what what he was getting to uh, did something that there's been no turning back.
0: <laughs> when was that? When, was, when did you engage that?
1: 2004, 2005. And I think at the time I knew this is... Uh, I had a sense that I was scratching the surface of something that would turn everything, take me all sorts of places. And essentially my work now is I go into places that have zero sort of overt religious or spiritual naming. And I talk to people about the holiness and the sacred nature of life and business and art and family and things happen. And that's partly what happened to me is I realized, oh, the next phase, the, my my work now will be to, to go to all these places and announce the whole thing as a temple. So So literally, like last week, I was speaking to software developers and user experience people like tech like high-end tech that i don't even understand what they're talking about
0: how do you get booked for that i don't know uh somebody knew somebody you just get a mission impossible thing this is your mission should you choose to accept it
1: no one cares who i they, they don't care how many books i've written or they don't care i'm just some dude and so i get to talk about that and then i'm trying to
0: think last last week was interesting what did you say to them like you're the tech has, so you're what do you what do you what did you talk about
1: I talked about how what happened in the modern world is that scale became the new God. More, bigger, faster, cheaper. Can you get it to me within a day? You know what I mean? Like scale, like up and to the right became the God of the age. And that what happened in the modern world is you can build a big, gleaming, amazing modern world with hospitals and airports, and you can put 10,000 songs in a person's pocket, but scale has almost no regard for soul. And so I talked Mm -hmm. to them. The Germans have this word word, Grenzebegriff, that which is real but beyond analysis. And that most of us, we were trained how to climb ladders from an early age, get good grades so you can uh, go to college, get good grades in college so you can get a good internship, get a good internship so you can get a good job. So at every stage of the game, somebody was leaning a ladder up against a building, essentially, and we learned how to climb. But no one, we never took a class on how to ask questions about whether or not the ladder is leaned up against the right building. And so you end up in a corner office, you end up the head of the department, you end up in a nice house making good money with this existential thud of what am I doing? I don't this. What is this? Is this it? Uh, and so I talked about my observation would be when people realize they've been bowing down to scale. The first thing that will happen is if you're going to head in a sole direction, it will there will be some cost. So I did. I talked about Jesus, unless a seed falls to the ground, and everybody I know who's like, I'm getting off the treadmill, this isn't a good life, that there will be – your boss won't understand, your parents will be like, what? Um, generally, somebody in your tribe will not understand when you choose to live with less, when you choose to make less money, when you – whatever it is. Like that. That's what I talk about.
0: Has anybody ever gone up to you like at a talk and be like, dude, I got Grins of a Griff tattooed on my arm? like"? Um,
1: That's actually a regular thing. Uh, People come up with tattoos. A woman came up and she had done a tattoo of my Everything is Spiritual film. She had outlined the film using like numbers and squares and circles, and she had had the outline of the talk all up and down her arm. Oh, yeah.
0: Are you like... are you like when you say like Are you going close? Am I gonna? Is, is there a bunny rabbit gonna be boiled in my backyard? I mean, what's going on here?
1: <laughs> a lot of lines from the. Uh, it's interesting the past couple of years with the Robcast. A lot of lines from the Robcast. Yeah, that's a that's a regular occurrence. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Isn't that funny? Well, I'm not like I, I like your stuff. I'm not getting any of it tattooed. <laughs> it. Just I have one tattoo. It's very small. It's dainty and. I'm not I'm not wired for <laughs> multiple <laughs> tattoos just not who I am good so when you fill out your tax return right like what do you put as occupation like what do you how do you see yourself because you're you know you write you speak you kind of you you offer counsel insight to people I and mean, what do you what do you like occupation how do you uh, describe it great question
1: I think maybe author speaker might be the
0: the term I think
1: author speaker might be the what's on taxes no one's ever asked that that's great
0: well, it's like you and Donald Trump. I want to see your tax returns. <laughs> well, it's just interesting because I mean, like you, <laughs> you're you're a, a, every, like you know everything about you again strikes me as this pastoral good person, right. you know, and yet you do that in a context that's not usually it. it it's far from where you're originated, and usually people that that are that, that that's at the heart of their identity you know they're they're usually in sort of traditional sort of institutions that are correlate to that, so it's just that I mean the reason I ask is is it's like you do so many interesting things and and part of who we are right we have to narrate and make sense of it and, and so I, I wonder like how do you frame oh I, the work yeah. that you do and that you love you know
1: yeah, I see what you're saying one answer is i I just i I love the work, so I'm just doing the work and I don't think about it. The second answer would be um for some people author is the best way in because they could they understand that and then what do you write about um mostly about spiritual life about the depth of life oh uh and and depends on who I'm ta- i honestly it depends on who i'm talking to because some people if you i mean spiritual teacher is actually probably the most accurate but if i say that it's instantly like woo. you know what i mean <laughs> like you have like a white robe in the trunk like what's what's that's
0: like pressure like i you know so, I, a friend I just Billy don't really is think it. about it yeah, right. Then, so, you know, that's so much expectation.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, one of my favorite books that shaped me the most is Lawrence Weschler's interviews with the legendary artist Robert Irwin. And the title of the book is Seeing is Forgetting the Name of the Thing One Sees. Seeing <laughs> mm. is Forgetting the Name of the Thing One Sees. Um, so, at some point for me, what I call myself just wasn't that interesting because. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in creating space where people will see things and have experiences and trying to nail that down or give that language. Uh, and then I also sometimes just say, I give sermons cause I love the sermon and I long time ago gave myself to resurrecting the sermon. So sometimes like I do a residency at this club here in West Hollywood, I'll do an hour and a half show. And honestly, I just did a, that was a sermon. You know what I mean? Every-
0: I love that. I love that you have. You, I love that. Like, I do a residency at this club. That's the greatest sentence I've ever heard.
1: Like, the other night, I did an hour and a half on aesthetics and architecture that was actually uh, an exegesis of Genesis chapter two. Although I didn't do Genesis chapter two, the, the trees were pleasing to the eye until an hour in. And nobody would have said leaving that was a sermon on Genesis two, but it actually was. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was all covered. Damian Hurst and this cathedral I saw in in Iceland, and like it was all over the place. But honestly, at some level, that was a sermon. So, so in some yeah, senses, it's yeah. like guerrilla theater. Like I'm going to take you places. Oh, last week Pete Holmes and I did a show at Largo, and I took him through on stage a new Exodus theology, which is basically Egypt, Sinai, Jerusalem, Babylon, and how everything Jesus is doing is a new Exodus. And he showed up high. In his words, he was 10 out of 10 high. So he gave running commentary on a serious theology of of a way to understand what's happening in this book. And it was magic. And that, to me, that's living right there.
0: That guy does the best Richard Roy ever heard. I mean, some men make a sacred place out of their car.
1: Isn't it so good? We'll probably <laughs> release that one. He does his, his Richard Rohr impression of, in that one, too. Um, yeah, that's to me, that's the, that's the juice right there. It's some sort of guerrilla theater, performance art, recovery meeting, revival, TED Talk, sermon. Yeah, that's the thing. So yeah, Carl
0: Bart says that y- you have to preach not about the Bible, but from the Bible. Exactly. Exactly. Did you come from a tradition? You feel like that it's like where people preached about the Bible and not from it.
1: Oh yeah, and, and especially when I'm like when I'm doing when I'll do like a two day event with communicators and specifically like spiritual leader, pastor, priest, teachers. I'll I'll what do you, I'll just have them. What are you talking about this Sunday? Explain to me why it's explain to me the existential urgency of it using no Bible verses or Christian religious terminology just tell me as a human being why this is so important that you would get up and waste people's time talking about it. (laughs) Mm. And a lot, it's shocking how often people like, well, uh, because Jesus said, "Mm, thanks for playing. Try again. Like, why is this rumbling inside of you? Why is this a fire that you have to get out? What is it about this that helps you better understand what it means to be human, that you are going to take people's precious time and, um, If you can do that, if you can explain it to me, now that's, now you have something. Now that'll, now you have some good news.
0: At the end of the book, you you talk about books that have influenced you and books about the Bible. And I love that you mentioned Ken Bailey, because I I went to seminary in in Pittsburgh um, and he was like the Billy Graham of Pittsburgh. And you also mentioned Robert Capon. And, uh, you know, and then I didn't realize, I, I was surprised I hadn't connected you and Capon, um, but you, I, I like. I think you, you and Capon would have had a good time cooking a meal together. I think.
1: You know, I, uh, I started reading. I think I read every book of his that I could find years ago, and and couldn't. I couldn't get enough. And I noticed he mentioned he lived like uh, Stony Island or or Rock, I, whatever Long Island.
0: I was just in that town a couple months ago. Yeah,
1: I called information on that island and asked if they had a number for him. And they did. They gave me a number. So I called it, and he
0: answered. And he, I love his voice. I heard a, a, an interview with him. He's got a great voice. Uh, he had a, a blessed memory, but he has a great voice.
1: And then we talked, and it was just, yeah, that, that man. What did you talk about? I just said, I'm calling to tell you how much I love your books, and they've just so shaped me. And he said, well, do you want to know what I'm writing now? And that. And then I think he went for a half hour straight, telling me about his genesis as a movie book. Yeah, <laughs> and it was wow. actually jarring because I was like, he has time just to talk to a random stranger who called his home phone. What a that is fascinating. But oh, he was couldn't have been more kind and generous and funny and long winded. It was great.
0: Do you make time for random strangers? So, you're a busy guy. I mean, is that hard to do?
1: Uh, I do. Yeah, I run into all sorts of. Just out here, just walking in the neighborhood, I run into endless, fascinating everything. <laughs> I can just walk out my front door, and it's interesting. So, uh,
0: yeah. Is it hard? as a public figure. Is it like we were saying before? Is it how do you avoid the seeing yourself versus being yourself like trap and tendency? Like you're just, I mean, you're you're someone that's in the public eye a lot, and and even if it's a religious public eye, it's still. But, you know, I mean, well, no, in fact, you're, you know, you're hanging around with a lot of interesting people that are also public personalities. I mean, how do you, uh, how do you like avoid taking yourself too seriously?
1: Um, Because like just you saying public figure, I'm like, oh, I wonder what he's talking about. It just is like a tenth of a tenth of one percent of what a day is like. Uh, First off, my kids are the center of my world. And my life with my wife and my kids. So today, uh, I'll take my daughter to dance. And then there's like a school fundraiser. What,
0: kind of, what kind of dance does she do? Hip hop,
1: jazz, and then circus, like silks, like Cirque Soleil stuff. And, oh, wow. then, uh, and my wife um, is in grad school. So I do a lot of groceries and taking my daughter to piano Mondays. And then. What is she studying? Psychology. And. Uh, so that's what. So my life here is with friends. My friend, uh, he's a philosopher named Pete Rollins. He lives around the corner, so he's here a lot, and we we eat and talk, and it's uh, that's most of my life. Go surfing, work on the next thing. So the idea of, and then like this book is coming out, and I'll go on tour, and I'll be like, oh, no way. Honestly, at the live events, what I will say, I'm so thrilled you all came. That's because it's true. Mm-hmm. Because I don't live for that. Like. I can't explain it i just have a great life here doing work that i love and the fact that it would actually connect with somebody somewhere is so moving and humbling and honestly sort of awe inspiring i don't really know what to say about it i just it's like no way really that meant something that's amazing
0: you conclude the book with a note on growing and changing and before we start recording you said you're seven on the enneagram <laughs> and it's amazing because sevens usually are free, conflict averse and fear pain but you're you seem to be someone who uh, is, is not at least that doesn't seem to drive you. Like I, I mean, I know sevens. some of my have best friends are sevens, but but you seem like you seem less pain and tension and conflict averse, at least in a lot of what you write about dealing with change in the tribe. I mean, Has that, uh, that always been true, or is that a learned?
1: Uh, I think I had thing. to learn all that. That's years of therapy. That's uh, that's marrying. My wife is very, very wise and has helped me navigate this in more ways than I could count. So uh, that's yeah, and that is a lot of pain. That I was like, this will either destroy me, or maybe something that has to die will die, and then we'll come out the other side. And it was just knowing at every stage, oh, I either go through this, and it does whatever it needs to do. Or I dig in my heels, and I regress, and I fight it, and uh, I think I was broken early on in some significant ways and realized, oh, that was brutal, but man, I'm freer, and I'm looser, and I'm not carrying around some of the stuff I was carrying around, and so then it's like you just learn that's how it works, that death and resurrection actually is how it works. (laughs) That that actually is the path. And uh so yeah those, those to me when people are like I don't know about the resurrection I do. Mm. <laughs> I do that these ideas that for many people know them as doctrinal statements or verses in the Bible no these are truths um and this happens once again I'll be doing uh I'll be doing an event and someone will raise their hand and they'll ask a question and you can just feel they'll even almost witness to it in the question something is needs to die so that something new can be born and they're holding on and they're gripping it and they're fighting it and you just want to, you know what, just let it, just let it do its thing. Cause you'll be in such a better
0: place. Can I ask you one last question? Yes. Do you ever wish that the Charlie Sheen meltdown would have happened? Like you would have written love wins after that. So you could have called it love winning. (laughs) You know what? You, uh, you ask
1: very good questions. <laughs> you have had a number of questions that are really striking. and
0: That's kind. You're kind.
1: That one isn't one of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Touché, uh, mon frère. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for spending some time talking with me.
1: You're, uh, I, I'm gonna have to hunt you down and find out what it is you do with your life, because you're a very compelling, interesting person, and that's not I, just blowing stuff your way. That's, that was a really, yeah, you had, yeah, you had, those are really good questions.
0: The feeling is mutual, and thank you for your work. My pleasure. And, I, and I will tell Steve, uh, you said, uh, you said, hey.
1: I love that guy. Funniest man I've ever known.
0: Peace. He's a good guy. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Give and Take. If you liked what you heard, please do a couple things for me. They are so helpful if you do them. Share this interview on social media or via email or tag someone in a tweet or something and say, hey, this is great. Check it out. Spread the love and goodness if you've found it here. Also, if you could go, please, 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 it takes like 60 seconds. Go to iTunes and write a review and give a a rating to the podcast. It really, really helps, especially as things are getting off the ground. And please do pre-order What is the Bible by Rob Bell. And check out the Robcast. It is really, really great. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, fare thee well.